0: The scripture reading is chapter 4 from the book of Psalms. It can be found on page 448 in the Black Bibles. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. The word of the Lord. Thank you, you, Henry family. Welcome, y'all. So good to have you here with us. Uh, If you enjoyed that song you just heard during the offertory, as much as I did, um, would encourage you to uh, seek out more uh, music like that by Poor Bishop Hooper is the name of the band who wrote um, that song that Michaela sang so well for us. Uh, I I recently heard... uh, a Christian musical review journalist say that the, the work of poor Bishop Hooper on the Psalms is one of the greatest achievements in contemporary Christian music. Um, they've written a song like that for every single Psalm um, in the Psalter. They, they did it one week, um, one one per week for three years and just recently finished. So I would encourage you to check that out. It's been a huge blessing to me even as I've thought about and studied the Psalms recently, we are looking this summer at the Psalms. We're going to go through about Psalm 1 through 15, and the sermon series is titled, Psalms in the Key of Life. And one of the reasons that we've titled that, aside from loving Stevie Wonder and him having an album with that title, is uh, we also, we see in the Psalter that all the different emotional notes that we experience in our life are addressed in the Psalms. God has given us the Psalms to meet us in all of those emotions, including the emotion of distress and anger. And we'll see here that he meets us in those as well this morning. So let's come to him and ask him to help us as we consider this Psalm together. Would you pray with me? Lord, we give you thanks. Thanks for your word. Thank you that um, through it you reveal more of who you are to us, that we might see that you are a a good father who cares about the distress of his children. We pray that you would uh, turn our eyes now, uh, open our ears and our hearts to receive all that you have for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've ever been the parent of a young child or have have had friends who are parents of a baby or maybe you're in that that stage right now, you know that you or the ones that you love or your friends, when they have a young crying baby, they'll do just about anything to get it to stop. An angry, distressed, crying baby, will it will cause the parents to go to whatever lengths necessary to finally soothe that child, whether it's getting in the car and going for a long drive, going on long walks, just kind of like vibrating and shaking all over. Don't shake the baby too hard, by the way. Um, or may, I mean, if you're like the Trap family, we just discovered that our kid loved the vacuum cleaner and we just... Gunned the vacuum cleaner for about a year it felt like. Or we, we also found this, this really trippy DVD called Praise Baby and it just had these like images on it of like green and fluorescent colors with this really cheesy Christian music playing and we didn't care how cheesy it was because it made our kids go to sleep and we would listen to it all the time. You will do whatever it takes to soothe a distressed baby, a distressed child. And what we see in the Psalm here in Psalm four is that God cares deeply about the distress of his children. So three points for you this morning. First, the request in distress. Second, the response to distress. And third, relief amid distress. So the request, the response, and the relief. Okay, let's go. The request in distress, first, we see the opening lines. The request is very plain. Answer me. Answer me in my distress, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Answer me. Now David is looking back on moments throughout his life when God has been faithful to that call, where God has given him relief in distress, And so he's calling out once again, answer me, O God of my righteousness. But friends, whether you are a Christian here this morning or if you don't believe in the Lord, which by the way, if you don't, we're so glad you're here. Welcome. But what, what I want you to know is that every single one of us, when we are in distress, when we reach our limits, we do the same thing that David does here, which is to call out... To our God to answer us. And maybe you're here this morning and you would say, I actually don't believe there is a God. I don't believe in God. I don't have a God. I would suggest to you that, that you do. That every single one of us has something or someone that we look to to help us in our distress. And that we cry out, answer to me, O God of my righteousness. Every single one of us has a God of our righteousness, you might say. What is righteousness? It's it's depicted later in verse 6 here, to have the light of God's face upon you, to have the approval of your God. And uh, righteousness may sound like a really religious word, but in our culture we use other words to describe the same kind of idea, words like enough, being enough or feeling like you've done enough or that you are enough. Or words like approval. Jonathan Haidt, who is an atheist and a professor of sociology at NYU's School of Business wrote a book about this called The Righteous Mind. Again, not a follower of God, but he's saying every single one of us is seeking righteousness. He says this, quote, an obsession with righteousness is the normal human condition. Every single one of us, Christian or not, looks to the God of our righteousness when we're in distress and we say, answer me. Like, come help me. And so my question for you is, what or who is that God for you? If it's not the God of the Bible, then it's something or someone else. Perhaps it's your schedule. Answer me when I'm in distress or your your work or maybe it's leisure or politics or romance or your parenting. What is it that you look to, that you turn to in your distress to make you feel like you're righteous, like you're doing enough and that you are enough? If you're looking to anything besides the God of the Bible, we are doing what David says in verse two, loving vain words and seeking after lies. David calls these vain words lies because they may not feel like it in the moment. If you're being lied to, do you know that you're being lied to? Oftentimes not. If you're being deceived, do you know that you're deceived? Of course not. It's the definition of being deceived. And when David says, O men, in verse 2, the Hebrew could also be translated, O men of rank. In other words, you might look around and see all of these other things that people are building their lives on and getting their approval in and feeling like they're enough, and you might feel kind of crazy if you're not doing that too. If you're not being like them, if you're not doing what the men or women of rank are doing in your world or in your lives. Consider for a moment, even the ways that we talk about our doing and our activity. Over the the last um, decade or so, you may have noticed that people have begun answering this question differently. How are you doing? How do we answer that question now? Now, In the church, we like our favorite answer. One of our favorite answers is, great, I'm doing great. You know, We just smile and keep on walking and Let's not get real for a second, okay? Like, we do that, we do that. Maybe we need to be more authentic about that, invite some, you know, some honesty. But appropriately, sometimes, you know, you want to do it with someone that you know and not just like the random stranger who asks you how you're doing and just like cut to the chase, right? How are you doing? But the other answer that we've begun to give more frequently in the last decade is not great. How are you doing? Busy. I'm busy. That answer has begun popping out of our mouths more and more and more. I have a lot to do. I'm busy. And we can say that in a sense of being stressed out, but also, also there is a sense in which we find our righteousness in our busyness and all the activity that we're doing that and again, remember what righteousness means. We find that we feel like we're enough and doing enough and approved by our busyness. And one, one of the ways that you know that is if you ever have a day on your calendar where you don't have much going on, and maybe you look at that day, it's, it's, this Saturday's coming up, and you finally get to that Saturday. Great, I don't have anything going on, finally. And you sit down and you put your feet up for like two minutes, and then you start to feel terrible. You start to think about all the projects that you need to do, the laundry that's undone, that closet that you've been stuffing full for like three years that you've been meaning to go through, or the garage that needs to be, I'm seeing anxiety like pop up on y'all's faces right now as I'm talking about this. You start to think about all those things and you feel terrible that you haven't done them. And so you need to get busy. Or have you ever gone to bed at night and you're getting ready to go to bed and you think to yourself, I did not get enough done today. I did not come close to checking off my checklist. And you just feel terrible about it. We are looking for our righteousness in our schedules and what we're doing. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Friends, this is what it looks like to have the God of productivity or busyness, it will shame you if you aren't doing enough. If you fail that God, it will shame you and tell you that you must serve it more faithfully. And the other thing you'll find is you'll get distressed if something is preventing you from appeasing that God. Your response to distress in many ways will reveal to you who your God actually is. Second point, response to distress. What is it that distresses you and you only get relief when that thing has been settled or appeased or made right again? One way to check yourself on this, a pastor friend of mine told me this has been very helpful and convicting for me to think about this. He said, when you put your head on your pillow at night, what would you fill in the blank to this question? When blank has gone well, it's been a good day. When blank has gone poorly, it's been a bad day. What's in the blank? Well, whatever it is, is what's defining our days. It's what we're looking to to give us the righteousness and the approval and the feeling that we are enough and have done enough. What is it that is defining your days? Whatever it is, it's ruling you. You are believing vain words and seeking after lies if it's anything but the God of your salvation as he's revealed in the Bible. Do you find yourself... Fixated on somebody else's wealth or success? Do you find yourself fixated on the fact that somebody else keeps posting those pictures of their cute kids on Instagram? Or pictures of their workouts? Or their wedding pictures? Or of their side hustle, stay at home mom business thing that they're doing and you look at all that they're doing and you feel terrible that they somehow have all that time to do that and you don't. And you ask, what's wrong with me? If only I could do that, fill in that blank, then my life would be going well. Things would be good. That is the God of your righteousness that you are looking to. See, friends, we, we especially um, in the church, we may have one God that we say that we worship, but then practically we often have many other gods that we are also worshiping. You could say it's our stated theology versus our real theology. And our God gets revealed in how we respond to distress, particularly in our anger. Which David begins talking about. We find out do we worship God or do we worship vain words and vain idols with the way that we steward our anger? In verse 4, David says, Be angry and do not sin. That's a tough command. Be angry, (laughs) don't sin. What we learn in this is that there is an angry response to distress that is righteous. And there's an angry response to distress that is unrighteous. And who you are worshiping produces either the righteous or unrighteous response to that distress and anger. Consider for first the unrighteous response, unrighteous anger. This is a response that comes out of feeling out of control in the midst of distress and wanting to wrestle the control back by whatever means necessary. And I'll get as angry and as hot as I need to get to get that control back. Just imagine maybe you're on your way to an appointment. It's just about 300 yards till your next exit on the highway. You're five minutes away from the appointment. You're going to make it great right on time, but you're on 6'10", and the person 300 yards ahead of you rear-ends somebody, and now you're in standstill traffic, and it's moving slow. How are you feeling about being out of control in this moment? What are the words that you have for that person who rear-ended the one 300 yards ahead of you? Are those righteous words, right? And then what about when you finally get to where the traffic is flowing again and there's that person who does the move that if we're honest, all of us have done at least once, which is to saddle up along where everyone stopped, go on the lane right next to you and then right at that one spot where they can get in, they pull in right in front of you. How are you doing with the anger in that moment? And you're feeling it because there's nothing you can do about it. You're, you don't have any control over it. And so what we do is we lash out. We lash out. We cope with the disappointment, with the fear of being late, and what that's going to do to our, our reputation or to our ability to, to close the deal or, or whatever it is that we're going to. We cope with that, with that disappointment and that lack of control and we lash out in anger. Unrighteous anger is focused on the self and what the self wants. Getting what we want and getting what we want now. Getting our kids to obey now. And so I will raise my voice or sharpen my language Because they're threatening my idol of comfort or threatening my idol of feeling like I'm a great parent. But their whining is right now telling me that I'm not. And so I'm going to lash out in anger. I had to apologize to my kids for that one yesterday. Unrighteous anger. Or getting your spouse to stop nagging you about something that they want you to do and you want them to stop talking to you about it now because they're threatening your idol, your idol of comfort or your idol of of, of feeling like you're right all the time. You want to defend yourself. You don't want to feel like you've done something wrong. This is what our unrighteous anger does it makes us live always grasping and reaching for control last year uh last summer i read out loud the book where the red fern grows to the trap kids i wanted to see him cry no i'm just kidding that's not why i read it um but uh there's there's um this moment early in the book where this this boy wants to teach his Um, dogs how to hunt raccoons but he needs a raccoon skin and doesn't doesn't know how to get one without his dogs and his his grandfather teaches him this old trap that um, folks in the Appalachians would use to to catch raccoons and they would dig you dig a hole in the ground a small hole and then put three I guess somehow three nails pointing inwards towards the bottom of the hole Um, and then you put something shiny at the bottom of that hole and the raccoon would come up and see that shiny thing that it wanted and, you know, with its hand like this, reach down, grab it. But once it's grabbed, the hand becomes too large to pull out. And it's stuck. It's stuck because of its desire for control. And that, when the boy comes up on that angry Snarling raccoon. It doesn't matter how angry the raccoon gets, it doesn't matter what it is, as long as it's holding on to what it wants like this, it is doomed. And that is what our anger does to us. It makes us live like this, closed fisted. And by the way, when we're living like this, closed fisted, what do we do with our fists? We fight when we're living trying to grab onto whatever it is that we want and control it, we live like this. And what David is inviting us to see in this passage is that because of who God is, we instead can live like this, open-handed, because of the God of our salvation, trusting in God's control. What does David do right before, what does David write about, what does he say in verse three before he says, to be angry and not sin. Verse three, know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call him. Meaning, I belong to the Lord. I belong to the one who actually is in control of everything. And not only do I belong to him, but as I call out to him right now, He hears me. He sees this horrible, sad situation that I'm in or this terrible thing that's happened. He sees it. He knows it. He can actually do something about it. This allows us, y'all, it allows us to be angry and not sin. I love that the the Bible doesn't say, and God through his word doesn't say, don't be angry. Actually affirms, you can feel the feelings. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, you get what you get and don't pitch a fit. (laughs) My mom listens to this podcast, I hope she heard that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, We we do not have to be stoics. The Lord welcomes us to bring all of our emotion to him, even our anger. And some of you have very good reasons for anger. Anger about what's happened to your loved ones, even your own children. Anger about an injustice It's been done to you or someone that you love. And this psalm is a prayer for you. Let God put his word in your mouth and pray it back to him. Answer me, God. Let him put his word in your mouth and pray it back to him. Righteous anger is focused on what offends God in his glory. This allows us then to be angry and not sin. To be angry about the sin that offends God and his glory. You notice the first thing that, that David does after he says, or says to do after he says, don't sin? Look at verse four again. Ponder in your own hearts on your own beds. Ponder your, ponder your own sin, Perhaps. Ponder all the, all the ways and reasons why God should be angry with us. This is what Jesus tells us to do, to deal with the log that's in our own eye before we focus on the speck in another's. To ponder in your own bed, in a place that's private, to not immediately launch out or get on Twitter. But instead to ponder our own sin, but also to ponder God's word. Remember remember what we're told in Psalm 1, that the blessed one is one who meditates on God's word, who ponders God's word day and night. And what we see in God's word, y'all listen, what we see in God's word is that he will have his revenge. He will make things right. And things being right are not dependent on us lashing out in anger towards another person. In fact, things are going to be made right by the one who reveals himself as slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. But who will visit his vengeance on those who are stiff-necked towards him? Who Wound and hurt and ruin his world. And that's me. And that's you if we do not look to Jesus. But there is relief offered amid distress. Final point, relief amid the distress. And I want you to note that I didn't say relief from distress. Because distress is coming. We will live, this world is broken and it's sinful, and we are broken and sinful, and our world and our lives are gonna be ones filled with distress. But there is relief offered in the midst of it. You even think about David. I mean, I've been re- rereading um, David's story in the book of First um, and Second Samuel, just as I've been preparing for these sermons. I had totally forgotten about when da- David, there's this moment when David's being pursued by Saul, and David seeks sanctuary essentially in this town called Nob and the priests there um, give David food and shelter and then he's found out and he leaves and he goes to another place to be safe and Saul sends somebody to those people those priests who gave David sanctuary and he slaughters 85 priests and one of the survivors comes and tells David what has happened that's the kind of distress that David was living with how in the world can you go to sleep at night when that is what's coming after you i mean david had to go to bed in caves he had you imagine going to sleep in a cave when the king of the country that you live in is sending all of his resources putting all of his resources towards finding you and sending his people after you. And David saying, I can go to sleep. I, I can, anyone dealing with sleeplessness every once in a while, by the way? Any sleeplessness present here in the sanctuary? I bet there is. David's saying, I have all kinds of distress swirling around me and I can go to bed at night. He can go to bed, but because of who God is. In verse five, he says, worship him. Worship him. Turn your heart and your gaze towards the one who actually can do something about all that feels out of control in this world, all that distresses you, all that's pursuing your life. The Lord can do something about it. Look to him. When you are feeling angry and out of control and scared, look to the one who isn't out of control. Look to the one who's rightly angry about the things that afflict you and assail you. Look to him and believe and worship him knowing that he actually is going to do something about it. None of the other gods will avenge you. No, in fact, those other gods that we worship and that we seek to find our righteousness in, what they'll do is they'll bring, they'll bring their vengeance on you when you fail them. Even the God of trying to be like a really religious person, the God of religiosity, if you fail being really religious and you mess up and don't pray as much as you should or you sin or you even start to have doubts about your faith, the God of religiosity will have vengeance on you and will shame you and punish you. But not the God of the Bible. Not the one true living God. No, he actually, he actually will not have vengeance on you. Instead, he will have his vengeance for you. None of of the other gods will answer you in your distress with the kind of peace that you long for. No, instead, they'll have you continue trying to try and grip Control of your life to get some kind of relief, and what they'll actually do is leave you feeling helpless and angry. But the God of the Bible is different. Unlike the other, the other gods who get angry at you, if your salvation is found in Him, if your righteousness is found in Him, He gets angry for you. And I want to be clear His righteousness is not one. That you earned. Do you, you see what David said at the very beginning? You've given me relief when I was in distress. Oh God of my righteousness. He's the God of our righteousness and he's the one who gives us the salvation that we need. That's called grace. Grace is something that is unearned but that we receive by the Lord alone through faith alone and Christ alone. See, the ultimate answer to this psalm is Jesus. God hears this psalm of David, the Lord to answer me, and God's ultimate answer is his word made flesh, the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus who reveals himself to be one who gets angry about the wrong in the world. He gets angry at the Pharisees in Matthew 15. He says, woe to you, Pharisees and scribes, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would go in to enter. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. Jesus gets angry at the self righteous, the self righteousness of religiosity and people who would say, you've got to live this kind of moral life and then you can get in. You've got to bow your knee to this moral life and then you'll get in. Jesus gets angry at that because it's a violation of God's glory, God alone who gives salvation. Jesus gets angry at the money changers in the temple who are buying and selling and trading in the courtyard of the Gentiles, the place where Gentiles from all over the world could come and worship the one true living God and now it's chaos in that place and Jesus sees that. He sees people being prevented from worshiping his father and he gets angry about it. He gets angry at the wrong that's being done at the expense of those who are on the outside. Jesus gets angry about that. Jesus comes to the tomb of his friend and he sees all of his friends crying in John 11. He sees people weeping over death and he comes to Lazarus's tomb and he weeps and he gets angry at death and the way that sin and death are ruining his good creation. Jesus does get righteously angry, so angry and so emotionally involved that he would go to the cross to kill death, to break its back, that he would go to the cross and take on the full anger and wrath of the Father that's deserving for us, for me, and for any of us. That he would step in and take all of God's anger and wrath. That Jesus, that Jesus would call out for the Lord to answer him and not hear anything in return on the cross. And Jesus might say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, on the cross, Jesus steps into the full wrath and anger of God so that, so that he might be the God of our righteousness and our salvation. So that we might find peace. So that we might have what verse 6 describes as the light of the Lord's face upon us or his smile upon us. So that we might have, as verse the seven describes, the joy of the Lord in our heart. And so that we might have what verse eight describes, as peace when we lie down and sleep. Peace in a world that feels chaotic and out of control and infuriating, that we might lie down at night and be at peace. Remember, a parent will do anything, will do anything to care for a distressed child. And we see that fully in the person and work of Jesus. That God, our Father, so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. You heard um, Clay pray for uh, the family of Tim Keller. Uh, Dr. Keller Recently passed just a few days ago and many of you I'm sure have been blessed as I have by his ministry, by his books. This church in many ways is what it is because of Dr. Keller's ministry. And I've been struck just in reading a little bit about his life, particularly about the end of Dr. Keller's life and some of the things that he said and some of his very last words. And as I've been preparing for Psalm 4, I can't help thinking of what an embodiment some of his last words are for the hope that we have and the way that we can, in the end, go to sleep in peace. One of the things that Dr. Keller said was, I can't wait to see Jesus. That's what he told his family. I can't wait to see Jesus. The one who is in control, the one who has stepped into our world, who's made a way for us to be righteous and to be saved and to belong to the Lord. Can't wait to see Jesus. And he also said, he told his family on the day that he died, there is no downside for me leaving, not in the slightest. No downside. Don't you want that kind of peace? That kind of peace on, on your deathbed, but even that kind of peace when you go to bed tonight. When you go to bed tonight with all the darkness in our world swirling around, with all of, with all of that that's, that's out of our control, even in our own homes, to be able to go to sleep knowing that there is no downside for us in Christ. For any who are in Christ, God is inviting you into this kind of peace. Are you an angry person? Is, is it because of all the idols that you're trusting and that are leaving you disappointed, clutching for control? Are, are you afraid? What, what if you were to be still before the living God? What if you were to call out to him and to put your trust in him only in Jesus. Is there a way for angry, scared sinners like us to find peace? He is the Prince of Peace, and he welcomes it to you by grace through faith in him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that you have given us Jesus, that you so loved the world that you would give your only son. We pray that you would help us to look to, to him as the God of our righteousness and to look to no other. We ask all this in his name. Amen.